Father Harrison, I think I've made you aware that I am a uh, dungeon master. Master of the dungeons. You may have mentioned this once when I was not attentive or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I have a group of friends and we, about last year, uh, started getting into Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, we've been playing pretty consistently various campaigns on and off for last year. Um, and uh, the problem with this is that we are all adults now. So there's a few things that happen. One of the things that happen is that sometimes people move. Mm -hmm. So the one couple that we play with, them and their whole family, hi Carl, hi Aaron, they've all moved down to West Virginia. Mm -hmm. So it's about an hour and 15 minutes for me to get down there. Okay. okay. Well, that's um, not the end of the world. But not the end of the world. And you know what? When I lived all the way up in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, a lot of times I would have to drive 50 minutes, an hour to get uh, to visit friends anyway. So not a big deal. Uh, good thing about this is that their house much more conducive to playing Dungeons and Dragons. Hmm. Bigger house, we can be louder, and the kids won't hear us. They'll be upstairs sleeping. Great. Love it. Okay. Another thing that happens when you're uh, in your 30s and you want to hang out with friends is now we have to do this terribly boring thing where we literally all get out our calendars and schedule when we're going to hang out, and it's so depressing that we have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, but we did it, and we had our first Dungeons and Dragons session in West Virginia. Very exciting. Mm -hmm. And so I've been running this campaign for them, and it's a lot of fun. And keep in mind now that, that we're all Catholics. We're all faithful Catholics. We're all, all about the whole Catholic thing. That'll give some context to what's going on here. Basically, the campaign I'm running, um, they basically, it's a heist. They're supposed to steal this weapon from this town. The overall story is kind of in this uh, country. There's a civil war, and it's basically... Uh, a little bit of a religious war, okay? So that's what's kind of going on during this. Uh, and so their job was simply to steal this weapon from this town. And I'm not sure how this happened, and this is the joy and magic of Dungeons & Dragons. They ended up starting their own cult, a cult based around a boat that moves across the land. They ended up converting the entire town to this weird cult. And like they were giving, because we would do some role-playing, they were giving some really good sermons about this weird cult that they had started. Mm -hmm. And it was beautiful, amazing, and horrifying. Because something about us being Catholics, we both knew how to, the power of religion in the sense that like you can easily misuse it to lead people astray. Mm -hmm. And so that's exactly what they did in this town. Like It was convincing and they had good roles and everything. So they basically started this entire uprising mm -hmm. and were able to steal this weapon not because of any of the plans that I kind of set them up. You know, I had like different mm -hmm. options for them to go and figure stuff out. No, none of that. Instead, they went straight up religious war in this town to get the spear. And a few things about that. One is that's the joy of the game because the game kind of makes itself. People make yeah. it and you get to play into it. And it's just so much fun. Like I would never ex have expected that. Two... Um, I'm just glad that my Catholic friends and I use our powers for good and not for evil, because it's so easy to, once you understand the reality of the universe, which is basically, you know, the sacramental world vision, mm -hmm. um, the, the truth of the gospel, the mm -hmm. truth of good and evil, all that stuff, you can use those powers for evil if you want to. Mm -hmm. And I'm also mildly concerned that we ended up doing this in this game we were playing. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying Dungeons & Dragons is a bad thing. I'm mm -hmm. not saying that at all. I think it's great. Great, mm -hmm. great, great. I love it. 
but mildly concerning. Your thoughts? On a scale of 1 to 10, where are you on your boat worship now? Um, so it's it is interesting. So the, none of my characters believe in this religion. Interesting. They were told con artists, right? But now this whole town has burned down, and there are basically entire town of religious zealots who have scattered to the four winds because the, and to spread this religion. So it adds another wrinkle in what is already a complicated religious war. Um, so that's what's going on. Like how do you, how, but like, so how do you deal with that? Because if you didn't plan for all this. Yeah. Like, how do you adapt when these, like, how did they even come up with this idea? Um, so, okay, I'll tell you. Yeah. And this is, um, at the very early on in the game, I set up a side quest for them to see if they could want to explore it. So basically there's a screaming old lady who was being arrested. I pointed this out. It looked very intriguing. They busted this lady out of jail. Uh, she was a religious zealot. Uh, basically she wanted to challenge everyone she met to um, uh, combat in which, uh, like a trial by, no, um, a death battle, basically. So she wanted, she would give them information if they fought her and, and drew blood, which was crazy because she's old and they didn't want to do it. Um, some stuff happened, and basically she ended up giving one of the people, uh, one of my uh, characters, her finger as a tribute. This lady was crazy, okay? So they put the finger in the bottle. They go about their business, and uh, they come across another adventure in which there are a bunch of dwarves who were basically trying to start a navy on land. It was supposed to be silly, right? But basically, they win this boat. And jokingly, they decide to christen the boat with a bottle. This bottle had this lady's finger in it. And I decided this is a good time for magical shenanigans. They hit the boat with the bottle, and now, now that this boat has magical properties, they figure out a way to make it work where they can just kind of glide across the land on this boat. So that's how that all started. People found this amazing, and through other circumstances, things they said, they were able to start this religion based around this boat. It makes sense because already a lot of the religion is based around uh, weapons and items and things. Okay. So, so what you're saying yeah. though is that really, yeah. the priest introduced magic into the universe here, that brought about this false worship. Okay. So um, as dungeon master, close as close. So there's always already magic in the game. I know, but you are you you even as dungeon master, you are ontologically yes. united to Jesus Christ. You are a priest, dungeon master in that okay. sense, right? Yes. Like, so a priest has brought false worship into this world i'm just saying that's interesting thought it's an interesting thought because there is no true worship in this world it's a totally pagan world right okay. there's no jesus christ in dungeons and dragons i mean i'm sure there are i'm sure there are people who do a very christian version of dungeons and dragons and i'm sure that's a great time <laughs> but this is not that yeah Okay. I'm, I'm basically I'm basically what I'm trying to say, Father Harrison, is you're, I'm uh, you're basically a, a crap J.R.R. Tolkien. Okay, that's how I do this. I have his imagination and uh -huh. his skills and talents. That's what I'm saying. Right. Welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Anthony. I am a Father Harrison. So, uh, is anyone still listening? Did they all uh, leave us? <laughs> it's just like so far. I've never really my my exposure to Dungeons and Dragons is like you and like the show community. So, 
Yeah. Uh, um, I'm not, I, I, I get the premise, but I just, mm-hmm. it's never something I've really ever given or had so much time. Just one thing, yeah. What makes it fun is that like, I, like I, um, in college, one of my majors was English lit. Yeah. And so the whole aspect of storytelling, even with my preaching, I don't take notes. So it's fun to kind of go along with a story, make it up as I go, but make it fit. It's that's what yeah, yeah, so yeah. I enjoy about yeah, it. Yeah. No, and totally. the players really, they yeah. make the story. You yeah. just kind of facilitate it. Yeah. No, totally. Um, so, you know, you're talking about that very adult thing to do. Let's break out our schedules and see when we can all do this. I so that a, we can all pray. We break our schedules so that we can play pretend together. Yes, exactly. That's what we do. Yes, yes, exactly. So, um, well, it's just interesting you, you say it like that too, because like, was it a couple weekends ago at this point now? Um, some friends, uh, Catherine and Sergio, were going to be driving through town. Like, hey, uh, we're coming through town. Uh, can we stop by uh, on our way back to Victoria? Um, yeah. Like, I'm looking at the time. Like, I'm going to probably be here like six-ish. Like, well, you want to stay for dinner? Like, I'll, I'll well, I won't make dinner because at this time I wouldn't have time to make it, but I'll grab something yeah. for food. And they said, well, we don't want to be a burden, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, just come on. Like, you're going to eat. Yeah. You're going to eat. And then, uh, and then I texted a couple other friends in town, uh, Ben and Julie, who do listen to the podcast. And they just, like, all of them actually listen to the podcast. So, um, but, uh, and I said, hey, you guys free. You want to, you want to come over for dinner? Catherine Surgery going to be here. Like, yeah, like, that'd be great. And so I did something cool. that you just never do anymore. Friends randomly showing up at a particular, just because it kind of worked at that time. We didn't schedule it. It just happened. It was beautiful. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait, this is what we used to do 20 years ago before we had iPhones and had to schedule everything in our lives. And it's kind of freeing. It's kind of beautiful. Like, Really? Because that just gives me anxiety thinking about that. I just picked up Chinese food. Still. And beer. I have to mentally prepare for interactions with friends. Oh no no, like hey. Even the ones I like. Oh no no, being around people I'm happy with that, that 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 no anxiety. The only the only anxiety Ugh. is get all my papers and cuz my my dining room table is normally my 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 desk for studying. <laughs> yeah. With books and papers <laughs> all over the place, right? So mm-hmm. I just kind of and then and then God bless Ben cuz he likes doing domestic stuff sometimes cuz I just ordered a bunch of new pots and pans for the directory cuz the other ones like the stuff's like chipping off in the bottom of the yeah. pans so, like my parents were over a couple months ago like you might want to get new pots and pans I'm like okay fine so we got new pots and pans for the directory we got a couple other things and like at one point during the night like Ben just got up just started like cuz he loves it he loves these things he loves pots and pans he was kind of interested in the pots and pans <laughs> I got and so like he's breaking them he's just washing the pots and pans for me before, before because you have to wash them you know they showed up on my doorstep from Amazon Right. That yeah. was the other thing. Is like realizing, like, man, Amazon really can be my friend. I mean, it is my friend in many ways, but in this yeah. case, it was definitely my friend because I'm like, I don't. The idea of like going out to, you know, Canadian Tire or something like that, or or the Bay or something to go get the pots and pans and a few other things I needed to do. Oh, exhausting. Oh my gosh. Like, just no, thank you. Right. I'm like, wait, I just go on <laughs> Amazon and they'll drop it off yeah. at my front door. Yeah. I don't have to worry about some salesperson saying, finding everything you need, can I help you with this? So I'm like, nope, no, I'm good. Just, just let me just get the thing I want to get and get, get out of here. <laughs> and it, that was actually really great too. And actually with all that, I also bought a sun clock. A sun clock? Which is like, oh, like the, it, yeah. Yeah, it's, so what it does is like the half hour before you start to wake up, it starts to slowly get brighter and brighter and, and you wake up a lot more refreshed and awake. And then at, at, at the time you want to wake up, birds are chirping and everything and it's very it's very delightful mm, yeah. See, yeah see i used to use that 
but then I grew stronger than it. Yeah, no. And I could sleep through the birds and the lights. Yeah, no, I So can't. I have to have a really abrasive alarm because I am stronger yeah, no, than I, my alarm clock. I've, I never, I can't remember the last time I slept past eight. Ever. Ugh. Ever. And like I, even then, like I don't really wake, sleep. I never sleep that late. That's like, I have to be really tired to sleep that late. Um, that's just one real random thing. But then the other random thing is like, so have you, you've done Filipino house blessings, right? I have not. Wow. I've done like white people house blessings. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Oh man, you is there a different? Oh yeah, you bless things in a different way. No, you don't. What I do is not different, but everything else that surrounds it is different. I got you. They, I got you. They okay. love to light candles to lead you through the house. That's cool, right? No, the blessing is the thing. That's that's fine. But like, because the time's pretty tight for this next week before I head off for school. Um, these people really wanted a house blessing. I said, I saw the last name, and I'm like, I know that this is more than just a house blessing, but I just knew I couldn't stick around. Like, I just, uh, so I said, yeah. I can do it at two o'clock on the Saturday, but I'm out by 2.15 so I can get back to the church, get ready for confessions, right? Like, in and out. That, yeah. That's that's all yeah. I can really do this time, right? I just, it's just, I can only do so much, right? And she communicated this to the, to the Filipino family, right? And I show up there and everything, and I do my blessing and all this jazz, but then, like, okay, father, like, like here, here's a plate, get food, get food, and like, you know, in the Filipino accent, and everything, like, and it's yeah. just like, I'm like, no, no, like, I can't, I really, oh, but you need to eat, you need to eat. I'm like, I know, I know, I know, but it's like, I appreciate it, but I really do need to go back. I have to go hear confessions. Like, it's scheduled on Saturday, right? And then, uh, yeah, but uh, so, in true Filipino style, they just packed a bunch of food in a bag for me to take home. Nice. Uh, it was just like, you never leave, a priest never leaves a Filipino's house without food. Yeah. They will always give you some food to take with you. It's like, and you would dishonor them greatly if you didn't. It was very, very interesting. It was, it's a little weird sometimes. I don't know what it's like for you because like, I show up, I've never seen these people at mass before in my life. Mm-hmm. I've been here two years now. I've never seen their faces before. I, and I would probably notice them I think like at least mm -hmm. even if it's just vague I there were some yeah. people I see at mass there because it's always a party yeah. right right but uh yeah it was just like it's just it's always weird when people ask you to bless a house but then they don't do the things that really bring blessings in life like the sacraments yeah I don't know what it's interesting about that? so I don't think uh it's different around here uh, most people who who ask for house blessing only know about it because they go to church Pretty often, the only time I like uh, do a house blessing for someone I don't recognize is sometimes for shut-ins. Right. But other than that, it's 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 if someone's asking for a house blessing, it's either because they think their house is haunted, or uh, yeah, they go to mass regularly. So I have I haven't had that experience. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No. I get we. There's a um, lot of Filipinos around, so that definitely and like part of it is because like Filipinos will often work two jobs. Yeah. And true. Stuff like that. Um. But I've actually decided on something. What pastoral tact in all of this? I was going. I'm actually doing mm -hmm. this for baptisms too. If you'd like me to do a house blessing, or you want me to do a wedding, or you want me to do baptisms, great. Come talk to me after Sunday mass. Oh, yeah, yeah. You could try that. We'll see where it goes. See where it goes. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. You know, it's just, it's just like, yeah, I want to try something out here. Just a little bit of a, listen, I'm happy to do this thing for you, but you do this thing for me. Come to mass. Seems even fair enough. Once, even just once. Even just once. 
Is this this is not insane, right? No, no, it's totally fair. It's fair. We'll ass. see what happens. We'll see what happens. I haven't actually had to implement this yet, but it's it's the thing I'm thinking of doing the next time I get one of these requests. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what's up. Cool. Well, Father Harrison, let's let's make producer Nick's job more difficult. <laughs> um, and what shall we call this segment? Um, hmm. See, all of our good segment names come from our listeners. So mm-hmm. we'll do a placeholder name, and you guys can email us what you think the name should be. Um, for now, we'll just call this um, Theological Speculations. <laughs> I was praying in the chapel late one night When my mind was pondering a thought so right Yes, my brain and theology gave me a surprise And new speculations began to arise It was so brash It was a theological trash It was so brash Just speculative trash It was so brash It gave me a rash It was so brash Theological trash So, uh, we, uh, as we've let you guys know before, we record episodes back to back. So one recording session, two episodes. And we have kind of run out of viable yeah. theological emergencies. Or we have some, but like, they're just going to be too short to right. just, it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. work. We need some more to fill it in. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's that. Uh, so father Harrison, this is all his idea and his fault. Uh, but I'm going to jump right in with it. Uh, he says, how about we just talk about theological things we've been thinking about for like five minutes a piece yeah not like one each this is not definitive this is not definitive teaching yeah this is um nothing that we would ever uh preach about uh this is just us noodling around with theological ideas that may or may not be true yeah exactly it's all father harrison's idea yep so father harrison do you want to go first i mean sure if you want me to um sure so I've been thinking a lot. I don't know. It just popped in my brain one day around like interest and usury. Yeah. And I've been pondering this because, you know, there's always the, the, the debates amongst certain small groups of Twitter and everything around how yeah. usury is a sin and, and, and interest is a sin too and everything. And I thought about this. And I've also thought about like, you know, people like St. Basil who will say, if you have two loaves of bread in the house type of thing, like if you have bread in the cupboard that you're not using, that belongs to the poor. Actually belongs to them. Yeah, yeah. actually belongs to literally them. Right? Belongs like, literally to them. belongs to them. Yes, exactly. You do not own that bread. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so this all got me thinking: why God command, why God condemns usury, mm-hmm. and and it actually even gets me to think about um, how that can trickle into the notion of interest. So first, just this little interesting thing, right? Because Jesus himself. So first, what's 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 usury? It's the taking uh, when you're lending money or lending money or other things away to. Uh, to bring about a significant profit, like an unjust yeah. profit. Like essentially, yeah. it's like modern. It's like loan sharks type of thing, you know. Yeah. Or like mm-hmm. Money Mart. Those people who will they'll give you three hundred dollars, but like they're gonna charge you thirty percent interest and then fifty percent interest. Like just how that stuff is legal, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Anyways, um, wanna mm. mm-hmm. don't get me started on those places. <sighs> Anyways, um. So I've thought about this, and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. But like at the same time, Jesus does talk positively about interest. 
In the parables. Where? Um, the the stewards with the coins. Interesting. Okay. Or at least he uses it as an image, right? He and uses he seems, it as an image, which is seems, not the same. He seems okay, so. Great. But I'll let you go. I'll let you go. I was just gonna say. Yeah. I was just gonna say. Like, but it's just. I'm just. I'm just kind of laying out the groundwork here. Okay. He's just. Yeah. He, it seems to then give some sense of. He's using this image, and like, why wouldn't you give me the interest? Uh, like, you, you, you know, you know, you know me. Do you? you? You could have put that in the bank at least and gained interest. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's even if it's just an image. There, there can be argued at least some sense of approval around this, okay? Around interest. But interest and usury are different. They're not the same. They're not the same. However, thinking about like St. Basil and stuff like this around usury, the question starts to become like, okay, yeah, I put this X money aside to gain X amount of interest. But what happens when you do this and this is like this is why it gets spicy. Is uh, if we're doing this, are we not essentially doing what Saint Basil condemns with the bread by doing things to set things aside to gain a growth in our finances? Are we then not like investing it, etc.? Are we perhaps not setting aside those things um, that God could be using for? for um for the good of others or uh and so i wonder sometimes if usury is condemned because it takes away legitimate money that could be used for the good of others yeah okay so i think there's a difference between like if i want to buy um if I want to buy a lot of hair product from Amazon, like a lot. Like I'm just going to get a lot of um, leave-in conditioner and uh, all the shamp- fancy shampoos that I like for my mm-hmm. hair. Okay. And so much so that I'm I'm not going to, I'm going to charge it to my credit card. And I can't, I can't pay one lump sum because I've spent $2,000 on hair product. Uh, and uh, my credit card company charges me interest for that. Mm-hmm. I think that's fine. That's different than... Uh, someone needs money because their power is going to be turned off, mm-hmm. right? So I think there's a difference between those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, I the thing is, Christians have always been uncomfortable. If you look historically speaking, they've always been uncomfortable with any kind of interest. Yeah, although Thomas and speaks only, positively of it, he does. I believe so. But I think like when you go to like. Most of the time in the, in the Middle Ages, there's it, there is a kind of, well, we all have other people do this for us. Like there's still a a, a, a squeamishness about money lending in general uh, for Christians. I think culturally speaking, that we have some sort of understanding that maybe there's something not quite right here. Mm-hmm. At least that's the sense I get from a you know quick overview of history, um, and it's something that we've become numb to over time. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's not a big deal. Um, and while I'm not, yeah, I, while I'm not saying that property is a bad thing, I think property is a good thing. Oh yeah, yeah. But I, I, it's it's often a highly overrated thing yeah. at the same time in our culture. So yes, I I think the idea that interesting. So the yeah. idea, the reason why usury is condemned is because it it, uh, it removes money from being used for the good of others. Yes, to gain more financial gain for self. Now, so. Okay. Yeah. Again, 
theological speculations, folks. Like this is not yeah. moral teaching. This is literally me just thinking off the top of my head about this. It's been mm-hmm. it's been itching at the back of my head. I'm like, mm-hmm. I just got to talk about this somewhere. Just for, but I don't want to like do a whole presbyteral exhortation. I just want to talk about this for five minutes. Um, but it doesn't this is it's just it's a question to be proposed because here's the thing. Because if this if this actually starts to become more and more true, for example, then like that actually has significant implications for things like priest pension funds and stuff like this, mm. right? Like I think I think there are I think there are legitimate uh I think there are legitimate things to be asking questions about around all that. So it's just it's just a question. That's all. I'm not any this it was just my little my little nugget that's been sitting at the back of my head. That's it. Yep. So you heard it here first. Father Harrison and I are red commie socialists. All right. Moving on to the uh, next topic. This is something I've been, I've been, I did not hear about this or see anything about this. This is purely a thing that I've encountered since I've gotten to my new parish um, and was very confused about this. Um, you know, we would get parishioners who want us to bless some beeswax candles, which I mean, blessing a candle usually for devotional purposes that seemed normal to me but then i started hearing this thing about like three days of darkness and then like there's a bunch of other stuff that they want you know blessed for this three days of darkness thing and i'm like what the what what is what is this and then another thing that has been like you know popping up is this uh idea what was it called oh and the other thing this like enlightenment of conscience thing and so i've just started to investigate this i've heard of the first thing but not the second thing Okay, so the gist is that um, there's going to be three days of darkness. Mm-hmm. This is kind of an apocalyptic thing mm-hmm. where everyone needs to be inside their houses. Mm-hmm. They have to have special beeswax candles. Mm-hmm. They have to make sure they eat certain kinds of blessed food mm-hmm. um, because everyone outside will be eaten by demons, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there will actually be demons who try to get inside your house mm-hmm. by pretending to be family members. Mm-hmm. So we have to make sure we get all of the blessed things so we can be inside our house because there'll be no light. That's why you need the special candles. Hmm. Um, uh, so there's there's that. Mm-hmm. And then kind of along with that, many people believe in this, also believe in this um, conscious thingy, enlightenment of conscience where like all time is going to stop mm-hmm. and then everyone will see their soul the way God sees it. And that will be the big moment where either people convert or don't like either they and will when is this take their own lives or in, during these three days um i don't know if it's supposed to happen during the three days but they seem both apocalyptically related i'm not sure what the timeline is but the point is that apparently it's going to happen soon because we live in unprecedentedly evil times father harrison i don't know if you know this oh um okay yes i mean evil is um, real but like yes it okay. is um and then someone someone described this to me as it's basically Catholic QAnon, and that sounds absolutely right, because within the QAnon conspiracy, there is an underlying, and now, this is a brief overview, this stuff gets very complicated, because I love me conspiracy theories, yes, I love I learning about yeah. them, I find them fascinating from a human perspective, why our brains do these things, okay? So, I, as a hobby, sometimes I dive into these things for funsies. But there is this desire, this innate human desire to see our enemies punished. And you see that with early versions of the QAnon conspiracy, that all of the Democrats, all the bad people will be uh, uh, go to jail or be executed or whatever. There'll be this great moment, this great awakening, all this stuff. There's different veins, but that's 
very basically. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the same sort of deal that there is this desire to see our enemies punished and a desire to be shown to be correct. Like no one believed you, but now they know for sure. And so that you are proven correct and all of your enemies are punished. Mm -hmm. And this is a weird thing to me for, it's a weird Christian idea for a Christian to have. So two things, one, that idea is weird. Also, like, isn't this just magic? Mm -hmm. Like this crosses over from sacraments to the pure magic. Mm -hmm. Like yep. you have to have the magic candles. You have to, it's hey, like, and guess what? what? You can what? go online apparently and buy these things at different Catholic suppliers to prepare for the three days. Yes. And I've also heard that like some saints talked about this, but then there's some, some debate blessed. whether they did or didn't. Yeah, it looks like some, um, I'm, I'm doing some efforting while you're talking about this because I'm just yeah. like... So I, I've talked to me. some people yeah. who know a little bit more about it and they say that actually these things being attributed to saints, there's no verification of it. Yeah. Um, but it, it disturbs me that uh, this is a thing that's in some inner Catholic circles because it seems super pagan to me. Yeah. Because in the end, it's like again, like you know, neither the day or the hour. This is this is, yeah. but this is the other thing. This is not how this is all. All this has happened. This is Joachim of the Fiore, right? This is what he. This is the problems that that Bonaventure was fighting against him, or sorry, the implications of his ideas, which came out from guys like William of Saint Amour, who said that like true eschatological poverty is now to be realized, essentially, which is yeah. like essentially saying the end is here essentially and mm -hmm. Bonaventure's like no that's not for us to say um this all happened before like this is just it's a, it's like it's definitely some millennialism like around the time we're in like people think oh yes you know so there's it's an interesting the impact a notion of a year is on people mm -hmm. even though it's literally a whole man-made thing <laughs> like we just decide yeah. that these are the years we're going to use um yeah it's, it's very conspiracy theory thinking has been something that both perplexes me Cause I don't know how to speak to people who buy into this stuff so easily. And what is it about what's going on in their life that attracts them so much to this? Mm -hmm. That's more like, it's not even so much like a theological question. It's like a, it's a, it's a human question of like, it's a very right? much a psychological yeah, question. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm, it's I, spiritual. I think it's too, spiritual too, yeah. but it's, it, it really twists it. And it, it, yeah. it really, and for whatever reason, whenever it gets twisted this way, it always falls into these weird eschatological fulfillment stuff. Mm -hmm. But here, I mean, this is like a whole chapter in my thesis right here, but it's like, this is where it gets fun, right? Because it's like, no, no, no. History, um, these, this is not, this is not what the book of Revelation is about. This is not what um, the end times is about at all. And also Jesus is pretty freaking clear. We know neither the day or the hour. Mm -hmm. So why are you, what, why does it matter? But also, like, it's like, it's a weird, like, to me, it's like a weird twisting of, of the flight from Egypt, right? And the blood on the doorpost thing. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, it's a weird twisting of this. But it's also like, I wonder sometimes, like, I wonder, hmm. I wonder sometimes if these people have actually seen real evil. And maybe it's because like it comes from like a fear of actually not knowing what real evil is, like how hmm. depraved it can be. But uh, like a fear of, of like the instability, like it comes from the sense of like the instability of the world. There's nothing that really unifies us anymore. And so that creates greater division, all this stuff. But like, and you have like, 
if you've seen real evil, like what <laughs> in one weird sense, like you're almost not afraid of it either. Like, cause you just know who has victory over it. Um, yeah. But you feel this like tension inside of you. And so you just presume all these evil things are going to have to happen because these people have never maybe really seen the real evil that's actually out there in the world that really does hurt and do real damage and, and destroy human dignity and life. I've seen it as a priest. Yeah. You've seen it yeah. as a priest probably, right? It exists. Mm-hmm. It's real. And it's nothing like what they're purporting it to be. And so I wonder sometimes, like I've actually wondered this a lot sometimes, like I wonder if people actually, those who like either preach like universalism or those who preach like this imminent end time stuff, I wonder, yeah. I've wondered more and more, have they actually encountered evil? And my guess has been no. That's interesting. Um, I have a bunch of thoughts about conspiratorial thinking, but that's a whole nother episode in it. But also like this, I I think, so with the millennialism, apocalypse thinking, um, a lot of it is just because we see it all the time. Because mm-hmm. now it's all on our screens. Mm-hmm. But I think back to like the uh, invasion of the Mongols where maybe up to 40 million people died. Mm-hmm. That uh, these people literally call themselves a scourge of God. Mm-hmm. That like whole towns were utterly wiped away and destroyed. Um, like monumental evil. But to us is just statistics because it happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were also people on the other side of the world who didn't see any of this. It's like there's always a lot of evil going on, which is not to minimize it, but there's also this pride in think there's there is a desire to make ourselves either the center or the mm-hmm. hero of the story or in the most important time in the mm-hmm. world. And we're just not that important. Yes. In that way. Yes. I think that's part of it as well. Yes. At the same time, like this gets, I, when I finish the book, I want to do a topic on this. I'm, I'm reading with some friends, uh, Guardini's the end of the modern world, Ooh, which is very, yeah, it's uh, it's intense, but he talks about like mass man as like, like he's like, he's almost like post-modernity is not really, it's just modernity intensified. Um, mm-hmm. he's talking about an age where there's a total cutoff from the past and, and that mass man, people seek anonymity right they don't want to be encountered by like like i'm already seeing it sometimes when you see it with the adults and certain teenagers god if you say god wants a personal relationship they're like i don't care yeah that, that, that doesn't convince them anymore it's like what yeah. worked even 10 years ago in evangelization doesn't work anymore right mm-hmm. and and so this anonymity thing um so as a christian though as someone who's addressed by god you're not anonymous right no and so but you're in a world of anonymity. And so what happens then is like, there is a weird, weird conflict between these two things that kind of starts to say, well, then my non-anonymity has to somehow come, come out of and, 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 and like break out of the anonymous realm in a way. Yeah. And, and out of this, the, the realm of the mass man. And, 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 and then you, and so like these eschatological stories make you feel like you're you're part of the special ones now because everything in your life says no you're not only not special but you're really of no interest you're just a cog in the machine of modern technocracy mm-hmm. and yeah. so it can speak to this deep need of the christian that is really unfulfilled in the modern world but they're also not approaching it in a christian way mhm i like it 
All right. So yeah, sorry. hopefully, we gave that a shot. Cool. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see, see how that goes. Um, but let's let's jump into a segment that is tried and true. Uh, Presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for Presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the best part. Yes. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. Father Harrison, I think, it's, I think it's Bible time. We haven't done some Bible time in a while. Sounds good. And there was... Um, I was thinking about this because... Um, the readings this past, oh, okay, two weeks ago um, with the prodigal son and everything. So it was a long gospel two weeks ago with the shepherd, the coins, the prodigal son, right? Well, I didn't do the prodigal son. Uh, but did you read it? No, because it actually you had did the ath- short version. I did the short version because I preached on the second reading. Okay. I, thought, I felt very guilty about this. Do you this. think the people of God don't deserve the entirety of the gospel? When you're already preaching for 21 minutes? Like, I don't see how that's a problem. So how long was Mass? What, an hour and 15 minutes? Your people uh, didn't have an hour, hour and 15 minutes hour, for God in their and, week? Hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. Did people have buses to catch and stuff too? I was a little long. I just, I didn't mean to, but I was just like, I love the story. I really do. I felt kind of guilty not you should the story. You should feel terrible because it's like once you every, should feel terrible forever for what you've done. So after last week's podcast, you're telling me that uh, you, you know actually I am right to hold these grand grand expectations Absolutely. upon myself, <laughs> and how dare I not live up to them at all times, in all ways, and in all places? That's what I'm. You hearing. know what? That's right. That's right. I shouldn't expect you to be a good priest like myself. I shouldn't. That's too. That's those expectations are too high. Of course. Of course. I read uh, the long version. No, actually, there's a reason why there's two options. <laughs> it's for sometimes very practical reasons like that. It's no big deal. Yeah, um, yeah. But I was actually preaching on the fact that Jesus tells these stories back to back to back. So that was actually the thrust of my homily. So it was important for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't get to get to the first reading uh, because of similar reasons. It would just been too long to preach about everything. Um, so I want to talk. Let's start with the first reading from two weeks ago. And then... Depending on the time, we can jump into a little bit of the uh, other stories. Because I think this is something that uh, people may have questions about. Sounds good. Okay, so I'm just going to read the reading for context. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once to your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, for they have become depraved. They have soon turned aside the way I pointed out to them, making for themselves a molten calf and worshiping it sacrificing to it and crying out, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I see how stiff-necked this people is, continued the Lord to Moses. Let me alone then, that my wrath may blaze up against them to consume them. Then I will make of you a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, saying, Why, O Lord, should your wrath blaze up against your own people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with such great power and with so strong a hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and how you swore to them by your own self, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and all this land that I promised. I will give your descendants as, and all this land I promised, I will give your descendants as their perpetual heritage. So the Lord relented in the punishment he had threatened to inflict on his people. 
Mm -hmm. So what's the obvious weirdness about this reading? Well, only because I had a bunch of people. It's it's the thing that always just, yeah. God ch or another, our translation in Canada says, God changed his mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even though it doesn't say specifically, um, yeah. that's what happens in our translation in the uh, New American Bible as well. God not only wants to destroy his people, uh, he also wants to go back on his promise. And then Moses, a sinful human being, convinces God to be more merciful. Mm-hmm. Pure words on the page, that's what it says, right? Right. Okay, so why is that a problem? Why can't we just say, like, yeah, cool, that's what it is. That's Actually, I don't. On. Honestly, when I hear it, like, okay, because I've thought about this a lot. or I've, And actually, yeah. I think Benedict, Pope Benedict has a whole uh, catechesis on this scene. I'm sure he does. Um, I actually have no problem with it. Uh, uh, you don't? No. I feel like you should. Why? I maybe used to, but I don't anymore. Okay. Okay. How about this? <laughs> um, is God not unchanging? Ah, but you are presuming that God's economic actions in history are equal, are, 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 um, are his nature. God is infinite. God, A, then, because mm -hmm. he's infinite, can also yes. will to humble himself in front of his creation while still remaining himself, and thus even put him in the place where he allows creation to enter into the dialogue with him. Uh, and, 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 uh, and so is able to do these things. He's powerful enough. He's infinite enough. He's omniscient and omnipotent enough to do these things because that's kenosis, baby. Um, and B, God has determined not to do an action he wanted to do, but he was also wasn't going to do that action at first because like that hadn't happened yet in history. God is making a choice based on historical circumstances about what he wants to do. So he's not changing his nature. He's changing his decision about how he's going to relate to humanity, and that's not going to change his nature. I'm silent because I need to find all the pieces of my brain matter that have exploded all over the room. Uh, <laughs> I had to mute myself for a second while my brain exploded, and now I have to pick up all these pieces. So sorry for that awkward pause in the uh, um, podcast. That's fascinating. I've never heard that explained that way. Yeah, you're throwing off my entire. Episode. <laughs> sorry, yeah, I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't want to answer anything because I'm like, I want you to do your thing. Yeah, no, but this is great. Um, Okay, so let's talk about what you just said a little bit and break it out open a little bit. Um, so my original understanding, so it's not that, okay, is it, is it fair to say that God's will was changed? No. Or that, okay, uh, so no, God's, like, okay, go ahead. yeah. Again, you're, there is a difference because if, if this is what if if we if we reduce how, what God does in history mm -hmm. to having to be um, because if this is if 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 otherwise like I guess how do I word it if we worry about um, if we confuse too much God's actions in history with His nature. Mm -hmm. The problem become there's you have a couple of problems with that, and one of them becomes 
well, then how does God do even different actions throughout history? Um, does he not change then every time he's relating to history and into time? Okay. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, so in theology, we make, I mean, it's a kind of a bit of an older distinction, but I think it still holds, holds sway here. We make yeah. um, a distinction between the imminent trinity and the economic trinity. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's that. There's yeah. the first one, right? So who God is in and of himself and how and then God in his nature relating also then to creation. But this is the other thing. We got to make sure we're not reducing will just to... Uh, uh, while will is according to nature and there's one nature obviously in the Godhead, but there's still three persons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so God, the father and Moses, Moses is essentially in my opinion, kind of entering into the, the address of the son to the father of this petitionary mm-hmm. pair. Right. And so, and, and like I, Benedict talks about this somewhere else. He talks about how like this intercessory prayer is actually God humbling himself in such a way. So as to draw a man up into his heart that he is using it as a moment of a lesson to show, yes, I have this wrath towards sin. I have this kind of hatred towards sin and death and false worship and that. And and this is the real consequence. If if this is the way you're going to go, like, it's better for me almost to just blot you out completely, like, really and truly, like, to show you how serious, not just not for his own pride, but just, like, how serious this is for humanity. But he says these things not because he's going to necessarily act on them, but because he wants to draw Moses or Abraham because Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah is the same thing. Like Moses yeah. here too. He's drawing them into his heart to see that actually he wants mercy. Yeah. So that was what I was going to talk yeah, about. Okay. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, first of all, I like that point that, um, that because Christ is the new Moses and Benedict talks about this a lot in um, uh, his, what? Oh my gosh. Uh, first of his three books, Jesus of Nazareth. He talks about uh, Benedict as a new <laughs> Benedict talks about Christ as a new, new Moses, Moses yeah. in the beginning of Jesus. Okay. So uh, that's fun to look at just as Christ interceding um, for the father. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I, to- I, this, I, I totally threw you off. This is awesome. This is great. This is great. <laughs> I'm making you do two episodes in a row. That's, that's what I'm making you do. <laughs> um, uh, but there's this aspect of, because in scripture, uh, you see this multiple times. You see... Um, God saying something he doesn't act on. Right. Um, I always go back to um, the story of Jonah. Mm-hmm. Jonah's message that he's given to preach to the Ninevites is, in three days, this town will be destroyed. That's it. It's not like repent and it won't be destroyed. It's just flat out, mm-hmm. you have to tell these people they're going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is because of this preaching that their hearts are converted and God relents. Mm-hmm. Um, what I what I was thinking about and seeing here, I didn't get a chance to. I chose not to preach about because I have a podcast, and you need to have preaching content and podcast content. Mm-hmm. It is the fact that God is kind of showing Moses. God is showing his mercy to Moses by revealing what's already in Moses's heart, in a sense. Yeah. That there is within us, in this image and likeness of God, um, this spark of of mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Also, that um, I think the other thing is that God is kind of there's almost a humor in this, in the sense that if human beings who are wrathful, 
who are sinful, who are, um, uh, we are jealous, Mm -hmm. we are all these things. If even this human being can have mercy on these people who have given him nothing but a hard time, right? Nothing but a hard time. Uh, poor Moses. And he, and they'll continue to give him a hard time. uh, Moses is like the ultimate pastor. He is the ultimate pastor. <laughs> He's like, you know what? Just, hey, okay. So he deals with them all the time. I love Moses. Okay. So if Moses can have mercy, then should we not have even more confidence in a God who is love? Right. So I think there's kind of an irony in this story as well. Yeah. Also, a kind of teaching Moses who God is by having Moses search his own heart. Right. Because like, um, so this is from, yeah, so Benedict, this is catechesis number five actually mm-hmm. in this uh by the way if you're a school of prayer by pope benedict it's the whole catechesis one of my it's one of my favorite books on prayer uh, mm-hmm. it, it is it's a masterpiece work because he says like because god like your translation is a little different but god says let my wrath burn hot and so benedict says in fact, these words, let my wrath burn heart, hot, were spoken so that Moses might intervene and ask God not to do it, thereby revealing that what God always wants is salvation, right? Like God is saying, let me, like, in other words, get out of my way, stop, don't yeah. do the intercession, like, but he, yeah. but, so it's also this invitation to Moses to say, actually, you actually have a role to play here, and I want you to play that role now as an intercessor and a mediator for mercy. Yes. Yeah. And there's this weird thing that God does because ultimately God over and over again delights in his creation and allows us to have a meaningful role in history. Mm -hmm. Allows us having a meaningful role in salvation. Whereas God is ultimately the one who saves, but he gives us a meaningful role within it. Um, I'll often talk about, uh, because when I do um, funeral liturgies, I'll often do a little bit of catechesis as far as like um, saying like praying for the dead actually matters. Mm -hmm. Because after all, God didn't need Moses to bring Israel out of Egypt. He could have teleported them, but he delights in having his creation play a real part. And even that, even allowing creation, was that? Mediation, baby. Yes, exactly. And even um, allowing us to participate in his saving work, that's a mercy to us. Yeah. Um, It allows us to, in some way, um, almost pay God back. It gives us a way to love him. Um, so I mean, it's one of those things that like, um, uh, by if you're truly sorrowful for, uh, rear ending somebody, you want to pay for the damage you've done. Mm-hmm. And if you can, that's actually a mercy that allows you to do that. Mm-hmm. So by really participating in salvation, you get to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I, I just quickly, just to add to that, I think it's like, yeah, this is like, and this again, this is like God's heart, like who he is in his nature and God's exterior judgments are two different things. And so God's exterior mm-hmm. judgments can change because you're not changing his nature. You're changing. Yes. You are saying, I want you actually to relate to the world in this way mm-hmm. based on your heart. Right. So it's again, like Moses is actually getting a secret look at the heart of God. Yeah. Which is amazing when you think about it. It is. Yeah. Okay, so one more thing. So that was that was way more fun than I expected it to be. Um, so let's see uh, my interpretation of some of the New Testament stuff and see what happens. 
my whole point from my homily from uh, two weeks ago was that Christ is being purposely confusing, absurd, and ironic, ironic in his storytelling. Yeah. Um, and I love it because mm-hmm. oftentimes we approach scripture with a hermeneutic of boringness, if you will. We assume that Christ is boring when really he's, his storytelling is oftentimes outrageous, always interesting, and it flips images on its head. Right. So we grew up thinking that a good shepherd is somebody who goes after the one sheep right. and leaves the 99 in the desert. Yeah. Like, oh, that's... And the point of my homily was like, that's a stupid Stop. shepherd. That is a dumb idea. Like That is, <laughs> that bad. is a terrible shepherd. <laughs> that is bad money management, folks. Exactly. I or like resource how you said management. bad. <laughs> bad. Actually, I did not mean to do that, but that's hilarious. I know. Yeah. It's terrible. Anyway, okay. So it's, it's a terrible. And what I love even more is that like the stories get increasingly more absurd. Yeah. So the woman who searches her entire house for the one coin she loses. I can understand wanting to find money in your house. But then she gathers together all of her family and friends and says, you have to rejoice with me because I found this coin. If one of your family members did that to you, you'd be worried about their mental health mm-hmm. to be so excited to find this lost coin. It's absurd. It's outrageous. Same thing with, like I said, with the shepherd. He, This sheep that has caused him nothing but trouble, he lovingly carries. He doesn't, like, beat the sheep and, like, drag it back home. He lovingly carries it back home and, once again, wants to celebrate. Mm -hmm. With the story of the prodigal son, probably the most extreme, basically what the son son is more or less saying, Father, I want your stuff. I can only get your stuff when you're dead. I can't wait for you to be dead, so can you just give me the stuff now? Mm -hmm. Incredibly insulting. Yep. Absurdly insulting. And yet when the son returns, the father's almost even uninterested in the son's confession. He's so excited to have him back. And Mm -hmm. Slaughter's a fattened calf. And and like, and and, and I I read this, I think someone sent me, I think it was Monsignor Pope. Like, Mm. because the clothes they would have worn, like the father's running, like, he has to hike up the robes. Like this is undignified. Yes, it's all undignified. <laughs> like it's it's absolutely silly that uh, someone that the father would ever. He's a bit of a nobleman. Like noblemen don't yeah. run. They don't run. No. Period. The fact you have people to have, run for you. Yeah, you exactly. Run. Well, that's, yeah, running is a, a thing a slave does. Yeah, it's why they wouldn't have the long robes because they would be clear, easier to walk and run faster. It's yeah. like yeah, like I actually never thought. I'm like, wow, yeah, like. The father, like I've always loved, like yeah, the father's watching, he's waiting, right? But like, no, mm-hmm. then he's like, he is becoming a silly little child essentially to show mm-hmm. the overgettiness of the return of his son. And what I also love is, um, I'm going back and forth a little yeah. bit in the story. What Christ says is, because um, the Pharisees are upset that Christ is eating with sinners, right? And then Christ addresses them, and says, "Which of you, which among you, would not do these things?" Right. He's the answer is saying like, like all of them. Exactly. The answer is all of them. So he's almost teasing and taunting the people because their understanding of God's mercy um, is so off base uh, and is so much smaller than what it actually is. And the point of these stories overall is that you don't understand God's mercy. That God's mercy almost doesn't even make sense. And that's why he uses these outrageous stories. So you don't have to like look the math of God. The math of mercy. There is no math. Doesn't work. There is, there no, is math. no math of mercy. Yeah. Take that math. Majors. It's something. 
Yeah. No math. <laughs> no math. Um, <laughs> Sorry, it sounds like a sounds like someone from uh, from uh, like like Madrid, Spain, saying like no mass, no math, yeah, no, no, no math, no math, no, no math, no math, no math, no math, because they have that okay. close thing. Sorry, yes, <laughs> sorry. <you do>. Okay, <laughs> um, and yet, how often do we try to calculate God's mercy? Mm-hmm. That we really think because we've committed this one sin so many times that it's actually exhausted the mercy of the cross. And the point of these stories is like, no, that's a silly idea. Mm-hmm. That not only does God forgive you, he rejoices in forgiving you. Mm-hmm. So often we have this idea that God begrudgingly forgives us. It's no, no. So I think looking at those stories in that perspective, seeing how outright silly they are. There's also an aspect of like real beauty in the uh, prodigal son as well. Mm-hmm. But the first two stories are just absurd. Mm-hmm. They're just very silly. Mm-hmm. The guy's using these silly stories to show us how silly we are. And I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, yeah, God's love is, it's, it's, you know, we talk like, I know I always think about things and like the analogy of being right. But, but, mm-hmm. um, that for every similarity is between God and creation, there's an ever greater dissimilarity. And this is one of those stories where it stretches towards the dissimilarity. Right, yeah. like it's really pushing the bounds of like almost no similarity. Like, there's almost a contradiction, but it's really the contradiction against sin. Right, this is the mm-hmm. whole point. Is to say, no, this is, and and Jesus knows this because he knows the heart of the Father, and yes. the, um, and I think this is. I think it then speaks to like how often like because I was actually talking a bit about this. Like, well, I didn't go this route, right? I was talking about how to experience being saved, right? Because I went with the second reading stuff with that. Um, but but it kind of gets to this same route. Because I was talking about, like, how sacrifice is totally misunderstood by Catholics. We hear the word sacrifice, we think destruction, right? And that's actually not the case at all. It's actually something you gain everything because you gain yeah. God, right? Um, and how much, like, then if we don't think sacrifice this way, then how much we have not let revelation to imbue the heart to see things as they're meant to be seen in the scriptures. And I think this is similar with, with the merciful love of God as shown in these, in these, in these parables, because these parables are meant to act like a sacrament. Like they are, they give something visible to manifest something deeply invisible, but is actually the deepest truth of reality. And you can't, you can't, that is not calculable. Like everything that's true is not calculable. Mm -hmm. Like the truth of truth. Not calculable, yeah. reducible, um, um, containable, none of that. Because he's God. He's infinite. Yes. And so let him actually like break in. Yes. Good. Well, I've got to run away. Okay. So uh, let's let's wrap it up. Uh, okay. Uh, it's fun. I love I like doing scripture stuff. I know I got to do always, it more. Often. We always enjoy it, and we're always like, we should do this more. Yeah. I know. Okay. So thank you for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me ripping off Father Mike Schmidt's Bible in the Year podcast. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at fr Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericalspeaking at gmail.com. Please send us your theological emergencies at 412-912-7995. 412-912-7995. Peace. God bless.